Hello, hello. You're listening to the No Fucks Given podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Knight, author of the No Fucks Given Guides, a series of self-help books for people like me who hate being told what to do. Just like the books, the podcast is fun, sweary, and full of tips and techniques for giving fewer, better fucks and living your best life. Let's get to it. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate everyone who keeps coming back every Tuesday for a new No Fucks Given podcast. This week, uh, episode 23 is called Fuck Anxiety, Part 2. And that's because back in week 10 of the podcast, I did an episode called Fuck Anxiety. And I got so much great feedback that I wanted to go back to this, unfortunately, (laughs) evergreen topic. Although, fortunately, for you at least, I have a lot to say about anxiety. And previously, I covered what I call the one question to rule them all, which is, can I control it? I talked about your worries and what-ifs and managing them. I mentioned my serenite shitstorm scale and how to use your probometer to figure out what level of shitstorm you are truly facing and how much you have to worry about it. Uh, All of that, as I said, was in episode 10, so please feel free to go back and listen to that, though you do not have to, to get everything you need to get out of today's show. Very important, this show stands alone. If there are any concepts along the way that I think you need a refresher on, I will tell you. Um, So today, I want to begin with one of my very favorite anxiety management tools, naming your tarantulas. Then I'm going to talk about freakout funds, which I did mention in episode 10, But I'm going to add the special bonus fourth fund, which is Goodwill, and tell you why it's different than time, energy, and money, your other freakout funds. I'm going to talk about crating your emotional puppies, which is a term I made up to explain how it is that I get myself from anxious freakout mode into calm the fuck down and get shit done mode. Finally, I'm going to walk you through the evolution of a freakout and, more important, how to avoid one. And as always, there will be an NFG tip of the week at the end, so listen all the way through to get that. And before I get rolling, just a reminder, you can always visit my website, nofucksgivenguides.com, for more info on any of my books, the journals, the page-a-day calendar, and to get the show notes on the podcast and links to downloads of stuff I might mention on here. All right, going to get started with naming your tarantulas. An activity which, on the face of it, I understand does not actually sound like it would uh, reduce your anxiety, but bear with me. And you guys are going to need a little backstory on this one. So if you don't know, for the last five years, I have been living in the Dominican Republic. Very lovely, very tropical, uh, and full of creatures that I never encountered once during my childhood in New England or when I went to school in Boston or the 15 years that I lived in New York City. And one night, a few years ago, my husband and I were returning from some local tiki bar. Uh, It was late at night, and we were a little bit tipsy, and we opened our front gate. And there's like a little short flagstone pathway that leads from the gate to the deck. And then you walk across the deck and step up onto the covered terrace, and then you enter the house. And as we uh, walked across the flagstones, again, it was pretty dark. You know, the light of the, the tropic moon is not exactly enough to tell the difference between some of the large almond leaves that are often scattered along our walkway and a creature about the size and shape of a honeydew melon that turned out to be a motherfucking tarantula. 
I realized that it was, in fact, a tarantula when I fumbled my iPhone out of my bag and was able to turn my flashlight on the thing, and I saw its beady little eyes, and I saw, actually, it had seven legs, not eight, which becomes important later in this story. But anyway, I screamed. I yelled to my husband, there's a tarantula, and uh, he used one of the brooms that we keep outside to kind of gently sort of push, guide it away from our house and in the direction of the fence that separates our yard from the neighbor's yard. And I ran past the spot where the tarantula had once been and skipped up over the terrace and unlocked the door, promptly swallowed a sleeping pill in hopes of ever being able to void my brain of uh, the scenario that had just befallen me. And again, I do know you're probably wondering, where is she going with this? This is not making me feel any less anxious, but I promise I'm getting there. So the next morning, we were supposed to go on a boat trip with a group of friends, which meant getting up bright and early, you know, come downstairs, make the coffee, throw all the stuff in the boat bag, grab the rum, grab the captain's hat, and get going down to the beach. And um, I came out of our bedroom, which is upstairs, and I, you know, bleary-eyed, pre-coffee, got my way down to the steps as they overlook our living room. And I saw in the corner of our living room, peeking out from beneath my floor-length curtains, several hairy little pipe cleaner legs. And my first thought was definitely, holy fuck, we have somehow uh, upended a, a nest of tarantulas and it's an invasion and we have to sell the house or minimum burn it down today. Um, but when I got down to a little bit closer to where the beast was hiding out, I counted and I saw that there were only seven legs. And so at least I knew then or could reasonably assume that it was the same tarantula from the night before. Now, I did not like the fact that it had retraced its steps and all of that gentle guiding and sweeping that my husband had done and not only gotten all the way up the flagstone path, but up onto the deck, across the deck, up onto the terrace, and then somehow squeezed its furry little body between the sliding glass doors of my living room to hang out under the curtain and surprise me in the morning. But still, this was better than the notion that there was an entire nestful family of tarantulas that could just be anywhere uh, between me and freedom. So this time, I slightly more casually yelled up to my husband, tarantula, and then I walked into the kitchen and got some coffee. And this is where the overall anxiety management tools come in. And this is something I developed uh, after having had this experience with the tarantula, who we later named Lucky, and writing my book, Calm the Fuck Down, which is there's sort of a three-pronged approach to being able to calm down in any given situation. And that is acknowledge, accept, and address. And it was easier to do the second time around because I had had this one experience with the tarantula. We had dealt with it and I had, in fact, fallen asleep. You know, my life had not changed in a major way. I had not been badly affected by the appearance of the tarantula the first time. And so the second time, I was better able to acknowledge what has happened. A tarantula is in my house. Then I had to accept what I can't control, which is Apparently, tarantulas can get into my house. And the next step in calming the fuck down and dealing with it is to address what you can control. In this case, get the tarantula out of my fucking house. So, and there is photographic evidence of this on my Instagram, 
Uh, I went around bustling about and packing our boat bags and found a plastic pitcher that I did not intend to ever use again, gave it to my husband, and he was able to sweep guide the seven-legged tarantula into the pitcher, and we put like a piece of cardboard over the end of it. And then we got into our car with our boat stuff and a tarantula in a pitcher. I was actually holding it sort of halfway out the window just in case. Uh, And we drove about a mile down the beach. We released Lucky, he of the seven legs and multiple lives, into an empty field. And we got on a boat. And I might have consumed a little bit more rum that day than was strictly necessary. But I don't think you can blame me. And so, in sum, this opening anecdote on episode 23, Fuck Anxiety, uh, is to show you guys the importance of acknowledge, accept, and then address in any situation where you need to calm the fuck down and deal with a problem, but also a little prelude to the anxiety management tool that I call Naming Your Tarantulas, which I will talk about next. And then I promise there won't be any more tarantulas for the rest of the show. So I mentioned earlier that I have a lot to say about anxiety, and this is because I suffer from clinical anxiety. Every day is a struggle. And fortunately, I have learned how to manage it over many long years of trial and error, some medical intervention, and some tools and techniques that I've just sort of figured out on my own and adapted uh, into my book, Calm the Fuck Down. One of those is naming your tarantulas. And this is where people with anxiety or people who are experiencing anxiety over a discrete event in their life or a period of time in their life, even if they don't have ongoing clinical anxiety the way some of us do, when you're experiencing anxiety, in my mind, it's like saying everything is a tarantula. Every single thing is the shadow of an almond leaf that could be an eight or seven legged hairy beast coming to haunt my dreams. Everything is a tarantula. And that feeling, that anxiety, is frightening, it is nerve-wracking, and it can be paralyzing. And you don't know why you feel this way. You just feel trapped. You feel stalked. You feel surrounded. But at the same time, this is all out there in the shadows, and you can't really put your finger on it. A lot of people who are experiencing anxiety just say, I feel bad, I feel blah, I feel blech, uh, for no reason. You know, they can't figure out why they're feeling down or lethargic or cranky. Uh, There's so many different ways that anxiety can make you feel, but usually a person who doesn't realize they're experiencing it can't attach the reason to anxiety, so they have even more to worry about. You know, why does my stomach hurt? Why am I short of breath? And you wind up just saying, I feel blah. And this is the same feeling that I associate with being surrounded by tarantulas. And the only way past it is through it. You have to acknowledge that there is a reason. You have to take your iPhone flashlight out of your bag and you have to shine it on those tarantulas or maybe those almond leaves and figure out which of them is giving you this terrible feeling, whether it's dread or fear or shame or just exhaustion. What is it? And only when you acknowledge what it is can you deal with it. So the lesson here is that everything is not a tarantula. 
And when you're feeling anxious, instead of mumbling everything as a tarantula like a crazy person, take five minutes to shine your light and name the actual things. There might be one tarantula in there, but there might also be four almond leaves. So take five minutes to really focus on your feeling and figure out what it could be that is making you feel this way, either suddenly or chronically. And just as an example, I'll tell you uh, the last time I used naming my tarantulas as a way to calm myself down. My husband and I were taking a long walk in really hot, humid weather, and we had our masks on. And I started feeling really panicky and short of breath. And, and I had all of these thoughts running through my mind. And I started to feel what, uh, to me, signals maybe some kind of incoming panic attack, which I don't even have very often anymore these days. And I just stopped and I thought it through. And I realized that what my brain was doing was processing a, a cardiac event that my husband's father, that my father-in-law had just been through. And it made me think about the fact that my own mother had a heart attack when she was just a year or two older than I am right now. And then I was having trouble breathing, probably because I was walking around in the hot, humid day in a mask. But it made me extra nervous that I'm so out of shape that what if I'm on my way to some sort of genetic cardiac event now that I am almost the same age as my mom when she had her heart attack? And that was really where the feeling of anxiety had come from. It wasn't because I was about to pass out from overexertion. Uh, it, was, it was these connections that my brain had made over the course of a day when we got this news about my father-in-law and while we were walking back from the place we were when we got that news. And it just all combined together to make me really anxious. And I had to stop and name those tarantulas. And that way, I was able to not fall deeper into a full-scale panic attack. I was able to rationally think, Sarah, you're fine. You're not going to pass out on the street. You're not going to have a heart attack before you get home. Just get back to the apartment, drink some water, dial it down. You're going to be fine. And so I hope that this little segment on naming your tarantulas has been able to demystify some of the feelings around anxiety and the solutions for anxiety for anybody out there like me who has suffered for a long time with not being able to put a finger on why they're feeling so bad. You know, just saying I feel blah for no reason and letting it consume you. Uh, you got to go out there and you got to try to name your tarantulas, you know, just take them out of the shadows and into the light, get a handle on who and what they are so that, you know, you can accept the things you can't control that tarantulas get into your house and address the things you can control. Most significantly, you know, naming the things that are causing you anxiety and either being able to rationally talk yourself down from the ledge the way I did a couple of weeks ago on that walk where I was definitely not having a heart attack, or name the things that are causing you anxiety and figure out how you can move forward in your life and through your world and not let them affect you quite so much or make changes that will lessen the impact of those things that are causing you anxiety. And not uh, coincidentally at all, that's actually a perfect segue into what I want to talk about next which is a little bit of a hot take. So coming up, I'm going to go through your freakout funds real quick and then describe 
the fourth fund and why it is so important that you do not deplete it. All right, so my loyal fucklings out there, uh, listeners of the podcast and readers of the No Fucks Given Guides will know that I refer to time, energy, and money as your fuck bucks, and allocating and spending them wisely is making and sticking to a fuck budget. And in the context of calming the fuck down, when you are freaking out or trying to avoid the freak out altogether and just using those fuck bucks to solve your problems, I refer to those as your freakout funds. Same concept, different gimmicky name, I will be here all week. Uh, But just as 50 Cent had the 50th law, I have the fourth fund. And the fourth fund is goodwill. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But first, I want to give you an example of someone who is in constant crisis mode. We're going to call her Sherry. Sherry is perhaps your coworker. And not a day goes by that Sherry does not show up completely frazzled by or upset about or, you know, blown over by something that has gone on in her life that has sent her into constant crisis mode. And she will not stop talking about it. And this is not just complaining. This is not just asking for help. It is just an amalgamation of Sherry's own anxieties about her life coming out to play, spilling over into her working relationship with you. And at a certain point, you are not going to be able to deal with it anymore. You are not going to want to offer Sherry any help or any perspective uh, with her crises because you know that they are never going to end. She is not accepting your help. She is not taking your advice. She is not trying to see things from a different perspective. She is just in constant crisis mode and there is no getting out of it. And unfortunately for Sherry, she is more than welcome to spend her time, energy, and money freaking out about stuff instead of solving what ails her. But she is depleting your account of goodwill. That is the fourth fund. It comprises the empathy, sympathy, and assistance of other people. And those other people get to dole it out or withhold it as they see fit. So now let's say you're Sherry. Do you understand that you don't want to drain the account of goodwill held by others by being a fucking freak show all the time? Because when you really need the empathy, sympathy, and assistance of others, it may no longer be there. This is the classic boy who cried wolf. And I don't mean to imply that people with severe anxiety or any other kind of mental illness should just uh, buck up and magically stop being the way they are and never let their problems uh, out into the light and never let other people know what's going on with them. What I am saying, though, and this is the hot take that I mentioned earlier, I am saying that it is not the rest of the world's job to deal with your shit. And if you are in a position, as I was many years ago, suffering from extreme anxiety that was bleeding over into my personal and professional lives and harming many of my relationships, and you do know, you are compass mentis enough to know that there is something wrong with you, uh, that something is not right, it is not correct, that it could be better, 
then you really need to ask for help, seek it out, take it, and do the work. Because constant crisis mode is manageable by you. And in the same way that you are in charge of how you spend your own freakout funds, your own time, energy, and money, it is also your actions that are going to deplete the fourth fund, the goodwill fund that is held by others. And look, I know some of us get dealt a much worse hand than others in the anxiety department, and we deserve a little overdraft protection, but the bank of goodwill cannot extend lifetime unlimited credit just because you haven't even tried to sort your shit out. You need to take personal responsibility to avoid alienating your entire support system. You need to be able to name your tarantulas, and you need to be able to budget those freakout funds. And hey, just to leave you with another analogy, if you had chronic diarrhea, you'd be looking into ways to stop having chronic diarrhea, right? And what if that was affecting your relationships because you couldn't go to parties or you were always canceling dates at the last minute? Or when you were at other people's houses, you were so distracted by your own shit, literally, that you weren't being very good company anyway. You wouldn't want to continue shitting all over your friends, figuratively, would you? I thought not. So don't be like Sherry. Don't let yourself get mired in constant crisis mode. Use the tips and techniques that I'm offering you. Acknowledge, accept, address, name your tarantulas, budget those freakout funds, and keep an eye on the fourth fund, you know? Understand that goodwill is not managed by you, but rather is doled out or withheld by other people depending on what, uh, what reason you give them to want to extend it. And as I said, there are many, many more tips and techniques and strategies for calming the fuck down and getting a handle on your anxiety from someone who suffers from clinical anxiety to you back in episode 10 of the No Fucks Given podcast. So feel free to listen or re-listen to that one. But I'm going to move on to some new, fresh, hot tips, including one that has to do with a man's best friend who in my opinion, is also sometimes man's worst enemy. It's time to talk about crating your emotional puppies. Emotions are like puppies. Sometimes they are fun and diverting. Sometimes they are comforting or distracting. And sometimes they peed all over your mother-in-law's carpet and are no longer allowed in the house. Emotions, like puppies, are good for short periods of time until you have to get something accomplished, at which point you need to coax them into their crate for a little while because you cannot get anything done with those fuckers running around. And at this point, I will ask you not to send me an angry email about crate training your dog. This is just a metaphor. Calm down. I don't even have a dog. I also don't have a medical license. So please also don't send me an angry email about how I shouldn't encourage people to compartmentalize their emotions. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that creating your emotional puppies is a way that I have figured out how to explain to people how I, Sarah Knight, have successfully gotten a handle on some aspects of my anxiety in order to move through my life uh, as a better adjusted person and solve problems that crop up along the way and not get blindsided by these feelings 
of anxiety. So please take my advice in the spirit in which it's intended, which is that if it helped a total fucking crazy person like me, it might help you too. Um, Back to puppies and emotions. It doesn't even matter if they're bad or good emotions. All emotions are distracting. You can get derailed by positive emotions. Uh, You know, like you could be so excited about the McRib being back at McDonald's that you go right to the drive-thru after work and forget to pick up your kid at band practice. But that said, I think we all know that in this episode, we're focusing on the bad emotions, the negative ones that accompany anxiety and freaking out and falling apart. And I suggest that you treat them like you would treat a puppy, okay? You're going to accept that you have these emotions. You're going to allow a reasonable time to visit with and acknowledge their existence. And then you're going to let them wear themselves out with a short burst of activity and exile them while you get to work solving the problems that brought them out to play in the first place. So just to be clear, in the same way that it is okay to have puppies, it is okay to have emotions. It's healthy. Um, You have to feel the feels to get through the bad stuff and then past it. I am not telling you to ignore your emotions, just to learn to sequester them from time to time. You can even freak out a little bit first, I won't tell. But when your emotional puppies, your muppies, are running amok, it is time to lock them up and temporarily throw away the key. This is when you crate your emotional puppies. For example, at my wedding reception, my mother set a votive candle a little too close to my train, and it caught on fire. Um, I crated my emotional puppies. I did not go on a champagne rampage against the culprit. I just put out the flames and went on with my party, okay? I crated the emotional puppies. Another example, a more somber one, was I had to craft and deliver a eulogy for my beloved Uncle Bob a few years ago. And I would never have been able to get through that if I wasn't adept by that point in time in creating my emotional puppies and taking that sadness and grief by the scruff of the neck and just plopping it inside its little cage for a while so that I could get through the really hard thing that I had to do and focus all of my freakout funds on getting it done and getting it done well. So my suggestion, my challenge to you is that next time you're feeling really anxious about something, see what you can do to separate that anxiety from the emotions that you're experiencing, from those puppies that are running around chewing up your mental furniture. And if it's possible, pick them up by the scruff of the neck and put them in their crates. And also remember that the same way you can lock those muppies up, you can let them out whenever you want. It's about being in control of where they are at any given time. You can let them out when it's useful, let them out when it serves you, let them out when it's cathartic, let them out whenever they're going to make you feel better, not worse. Um, It's not like you sent your muppies to a farm upstate to live with a nice elderly couple, wink, wink. They're just chilling in their crate until you say otherwise. You know, every once in a while, it occurs to me when my husband and I are having a A heated conversation, he might say something to me like, you know, I can't control my emotions like you can. And I'm explaining to you guys how I do it. Uh, This is what I do. I envision my emotions like puppies and I put them in a crate. So try creating your emotional puppies, which, by the way, is the final step in my how do I calm the fuck down flowchart. 
which you can find in Calm the Fuck Down the Book, but also you can find on my website for free, nofucksgivenguides.com. So check out that flowchart and now you'll understand the square that says, have you created your emotional puppies? Um, Also on my website, you can fill out the form to submit your questions to my audio advice column. You asked for it. You can also email those to podcast at nofucksgivenguides.com. Coming up, I'm going to take you through the evolution of a freakout and how to avoid it altogether. Okay, this is the evolution of a freakout. It starts with a what if, and that moves to worrying, and then inaction, and then you freak out, okay? And that inaction is that paralysis I described where your anxiety just overwhelms you, everything is a tarantula, you don't know what to do, you can't make any decisions, and you start freaking out. So it starts with a what if, that moves on into a worry, and then if you don't take action to solve that worry, if you don't spend those freakout funds solving that problem, you are going to wind up in a full-blown freakout. So just as an example, let's say that you are throwing a high school graduation party for your daughter. You're so proud of her. You're so excited. Uh, Your friends are vaccinated. They're coming over for a barbecue. And you start to worry, what if you run out of grilled meats? What if the kids uh, who haven't quite figured out yet that you're not supposed to just bring a plus one or a plus 17 that you haven't RSVP'd for show up en masse? and deplete your hot dog supplies, you know, before the party is halfway over. What if? You have that little what if on the brain, and it makes you worry. Okay, this is normal. You show me someone who's planned a big event and hasn't been plagued by what ifs and worries, and I will show you a superhuman who runs on clonopin and hubris. It is what you do or don't do next that counts. What you should do is acknowledge the problem, your potential meat shortage, Accept what you can't control, uninvited guests, and address what you can control, like buy a few extra packs of hot dogs and hamburger patties and just freeze them if you don't use them. That last part, of course, is the most important part because you are addressing what you can control. You are taking action. But if you allow yourself to be paralyzed by inaction, that is when you will end up freaking out. I've mentioned before that worrying has two meanings. Uh, You're worrying about something, you're stressing about it, but to worry something is also to like pick at it and to rub at it like a scab or a yarn from your sweater, a loose thread. And if you keep worrying that, um, you are eventually going to unravel your entire sweater, or you're going to pick off that scab and your elbow is going to be bleeding again. Instead, you have to stop worrying and take action. You have to tie a knot in the thread, or you have to slap some neosporin and a Band-Aid on that elbow. If you let yourself get sidelined by one worry, it is that much easier to develop more worries. Now you're not just worried about what if I run out of hot dogs, you're worried about what if it rains? What if the citronella candles don't keep the mosquitoes away? Uh, What if there's too many people and they park in our driveway in our cul-de-sac and the neighbors get mad at me? Or worse, what if I did all of this work to plan this perfect party and nobody shows up? Now, 
you are freaking out. You have gone from what if to worry, inaction, no action. You have not addressed your worries. You have allowed them to metastasize and your sweater is a midriff top and you are in a full-blown freakout. Folks, friends, my little fucklings, don't let it get to that point. You need to acknowledge, accept, and address, okay? Acknowledge that something is going on here. Acknowledge that you're experiencing anxiety. Acknowledge those what-ifs and worries. And then accept the things that you cannot control and move forward on addressing the things you can. And whether addressing the things you can is literally scooping a tarantula up and out of your living room and releasing it in a vacant lot a mile down the road, or addressing the things you can is taking some personal responsibility, understanding that your anxiety is adversely impacting your relationships and seeking out help to manage it, addressing your shit is the only way forward. Coming up, the NFG tip of the week, the simplest and most effective NFG tip there is. Uh, But first, just a quick recap of everything we talked about today in Fuck Anxiety, Part 2. Started out by explaining that you need to name your tarantulas. You need to acknowledge the source of your anxiety before you can do anything about it. I talked about constant crisis mode and how you don't want to be in it, And you don't like it when Sherry's in it either, because Sherry depletes your fourth fund. Goodwill. Try not to be the Sherry who cried wolf, okay? Uh, We talked about creating your emotional puppies, accepting that you have these emotions, and then picking them up by the scruff of the muppy neck and putting them in that metaphorical crate so you can get shit done and you can solve the problems that brought them out to play. And I walked you through the evolution of a freakout and the way that you stop yourself from getting to freakout is by taking action. If you're rolling a bunch of what-ifs around in your mind and they're turning into worries, stop, address them, take action, and enjoy the party. You worked hard for this. Looking back on this episode, guys, I think the theme is that you can't let your anxiety control you. You have to control your anxiety. You're not necessarily going to eliminate it. I certainly haven't eliminated mine, but you need to understand how to deal with it and develop these tools and these techniques to make it easier on yourself and everybody else around you going forward. Um, It's time for this week's NFG tip of the week, and it is, as promised, very simple. The tip is just fucking breathe. That's it. Just breathe, okay? In through the nose out through the mouth. It is the single fastest, most effective, cheapest, simplest way to ratchet down that anxiety that you're feeling about any given thing in any given moment. Just fucking breathe. Uh, You can get fancy. You can practice mindfulness meditation. I talked about that some in episode 17. There's a great little book I just started reading called Quick Calm by Dr. Jen Wolken. That's really helpful for coming up with different breathing exercises and mindfulness meditations. But when in doubt, in through the nose for four, out through the mouth for six, just fucking breathe. And that'll do it for episode 23 of the No Fucks Given podcast. Next week is another You Asked For It audio advice column. I do those once a month. So don't forget to send me your questions to podcast at nofucksgivenguides.com. 
And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please leave a rating or a review and visit the website nofucksgivenguides.com to check out that calm the fuck down flowchart I mentioned. Until next week, I'm Sarah Knight. No fucks given, not sorry. Sorry.